Welcome to It's All Fine and Dangy, where we talk about community, health, culture, and all of the big and little things that make life good. Here are your hosts, Dan and Angie. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 98 of the It's All Fine and Dangy podcast. We have two more to go. I guess uh, one more to more go. Two more till 100. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah, I cannot wait. I can't believe we've already got uh, that close. And we have some very cool stuff coming up for our 100th episode. It will be our 100th, say that three times fast. <laughs> 100. 100th. <laughs> uh special episode and we'll have some cameos from old guests and uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be a pretty cool thing yeah i'm excited me too but today today we are interviewing our second ever international guest oh my gosh two in a row how awesome is that i know i'm so excited for this one so today again all the way from turkey mm-hmm. we are speaking with dean rinaldi he is an author a ghostwriter, a mentor and an all-around nice guy so let me just add Dean to the call here. All right. And I, he I love how he introduced you as just an all around nice guy. He must have <laughs> oh. met you before or something. Too. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much for inviting me onto your show, Dan. And it's lovely to see you, Ange. So nice to finally meet you kind of in person. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> as close uh, as we can get right yeah, now. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. Virtu- 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 but listen. After talking to our guest last week, I will. We will be to Turkey. Yeah, we I, will be to Turkey I am one day. We yes. saw pictures of uh, Jane's <laughs> house and everything, and it's just it looks amazing. So I would love to come and see you guys. It would be great. We would love to see you over here. It's uh, it's a lovely part of the world. It, it really is. Um, I was always going to live abroad or retire abroad at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm anti England or anything like that. Far from it. I love my home country, but. Sure. I lived there for 50 odd years. So you yeah. want to, it's a one lifetime in a big world. So you want to just yeah, go out and of course. enjoy it. Um, oh, yeah, I understand that. We can relate. At a, small, at a smaller scale, you know, we're from a pop, I'm from a pop guy and, and Angie's from a neighboring, kind of from a neighboring uh uh, city, but to, mm-hmm. we're talking about moving to North Carolina. It's not nearly as big of a move as you did, but it's the same concept where it's like, let's see what else is out there. Let's see a different <sighs> area. And on that note, Dean, you know, when we start our interviews, we really like to learn a little bit about our guests personally before we kind of get into you as a writer and everything else. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself personally? Certainly. Okay. My name is Dean Rinaldi. Uh, I'm British. I was born in South London. Um, I'm now retired and living in Fethiye, Turkey, uh, with my beautiful wife, Jill. And uh, I ghostwrite, I publish, and I mentor first-time authors. Oh, that's amazing. So first off, question for me. You think I would know this since I live (laughs) at home with an author, but what is a ghostwriter? And how did you get into that? Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, easy. Um, I suppose the uh, simple form of explain ghostwriter is it, it's the process of writing a book um, or mm-hmm. a project that somebody else will be get credited for. Um, I believe, oh. I believe this passionately actually that everybody has that one great book inside them or a story that they want to share, but they don't always have the the time with work commitments and family sure. uh, or the energy or actually the experience of seeing a project right way through to completion and publication and, and making it available uh, you know, worldwide. Oh, it's a lot um, of work. It is a lot of work. 
Absolutely. Uh, and I see my, my role very much as uh, uh, asking lots of open-ended questions, the how, the why, what, where and when, and then really digging into the corners of our clients' minds and, and digging out those lovely little golden nuggets that you bring mm -hmm. together for their kind of dream book. Um, right. I mean, ultimately, as a ghostwriter, my primary objective is to be able to tell their story but in their voice. Yeah. Um, mm. and, and it is wonderful when um, I've completed a project and then my client comes back to me and says, oh, a member of my family has just brought my book and they said it was it was just like you were reading it to me. That was, you know, you were telling me the story. And at that point, I know I've absolutely nailed it. So yeah, oh, I, I love that. that. So do you come, do you like sit with them and interview them and kind of get uh, a sort of rhythm of their personality and things oh, like that? Is absolutely. We can do this online like this because technology, it, it makes things, things so easy. I mean, I, I've ghostwritten for people in America, Australia, the UK, oh, wow. Turkey, uh, you know, it, it, it makes this easy, but we spend a lot of time and we talk and I keep asking those questions because sometimes there's a little something at the back of their mind that once you touch on that nerve, it all starts flowing and, and they will use the same point of references and the same words and gestures over and over again. And ah. you just incorporate that into the book. And then anybody yeah. that knows them will go, wow, that's, you know, it's like you're talking to me. Um, yeah. It's like they say, two ears, one mouth, listen twice as hard uh, as you're talking and, and then you grab it. Uh, yeah. It's something that I enjoyed even more than when I was writing for myself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that takes like a real talent. You know what I mean? To sure. be able to take somebody else's just them just kind of brainstorming and just telling your, their story to you and to be able to analyze them so much. Just like you said, you're you're looking at body language. You're listening to <sighs> words. They're using phrases. I mean, that takes a talent. Oh, no doubt. And it, I, yeah, I bet you've met some really interesting people doing this. And but I'm curious, you know, Aunt, like Angie asked earlier, how did this start for you? Like, how did you get into this to begin with? I suppose, I suppose writing stories for me happened, I was about seven or eight years old. Now, this is about 1970, uh, and I just read H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Oh, I, I love that. absolutely enthralled by this book. Me too. And, um, and at that time, we just landed on the moon. It was a moon landing in mm. 1969, 1970, and uh, Star Trek, the original series, was on the I television. I love that too. I love it. So I was, I was absolutely, you know, science fiction just blew me away, and, and, I, yeah. and I wrote this story. I think it was about eight or nine pages long, which was a lot when you're seven years old. I remember yeah. my teacher was so pleased with me that she actually placed it right up on the wall, you know. Um, oh, I love so it. That, yeah, that was kind of my first long story, but it was something that always kind of stuck with me. Um, mm -hmm. And then it was about 1976. Uh, it's a glorious summer. We had a big heat wave here. It was probably normal Florida Florida weather. Yeah. But we had <laughs> Sounds like every day, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, 1976, I'll, I'll never forget that glorious summer, but uh, I, I decided I was going to, I had this story in my head, and and uh, so I decided I was going to write it. And, and growing up and living back in South London uh, during that time, there were lots of stories and myths about the infamous Cray Twins in East London that, that oh, yeah. kind of 
England that ran it during the 60s and in south of the river you had the Richardson mob and, and they pretty much ruled uh, London south of the River Thames uh, and you had all of these stories and, and yeah. uh, I wanted to create this character and I suppose I based it a little bit on the head of the Richardson mob which was a guy called Charlie Richardson. Um, it would be very easy just to think he was just some simple thug. He wasn't. He was a very, very clever, astute businessman yeah. um mm. he happened to hurt people as well mm. <laughs> yeah. but, but, he, but he came yeah. off like a, but he came off like a simpleton kind of no no far from no me. i mean but, uh, but did he did he seem like I, because of the impression i just got from you is he kind of seen if you didn't know you wouldn't realize just how smart and calculated he is uh yeah i, I would imagine people could underestimate him and uh, and that would yeah. have been a yeah. good thing um, right. But I, I, I use that kind of character from the stories that I'd been told back mm. in the 70s. And, and, yeah. I, and I wrote this book. And uh, anyway, I, I finished it. It was a full novel for me. Back then, a full novel was two exercise books, which is about 128 pages. And, oh, wow. Uh, oh. Short. And, and I... Yeah, uh, and I took it into I took it into my English teacher. I had the most amazing English teacher. Her name was Nikki Weaver, uh, and she was I found her very very uh, inspirational. Really, she she really was. But not just for me, for everybody in the class. Um, now you, you know at the back of the class, you've always got your people that are going to make a little bit of noise and, and think they're being funny, throwing things around, but not in her class. Right. In her wow. class, she engaged everybody uh she just had this wonderful way about her uh, and i remember i finished the book and i was so so excited and wanted to give it to her to read you know and, and get some mm -hmm. feedback from it uh, and i gave her the book and uh, and she she, yeah, she was very complimentary and she said look i'm actually friends with the editor of um, a, a local newspaper which was the sutton and Cheam herald at the time and, oh wow uh, yeah, well, it, it was lovely. He, he invited me to meet him at their offices, and he was 14 years of age. This is 1976, and uh, I went along there. Uh, and I felt wonderful. You know, I went in through the, into the reception, he showed me up to the office, and uh, he turned, we sat down, and he put my book in front of him, all my books in front of him, and, and he gave me some really good constructive feedback. He was very complimentary, and I went away feeling marvellous, but it was very balanced as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I got a lot more from that than just, oh, well done, well done. You know, yeah. you actually have, if that isn't quite right, tell me, please. I want to know how to improve it. Yeah. And uh, and it was wonderful. And so uh, that was my first my first book. And, wow. <laughs> and then you were probably what a, hooked on it. What a story, it. though. Yeah. Like, yeah. At 14, that's no pretty doubt. amazing, dude. But, but that, yeah, you probably yeah. were hooked on it after that, I would think. I would have been. Well, it's funny it's because it, uh, just before we left, he said, look, you know, when you leave school, come and see me. Uh, and I thought, wow, you know, maybe, maybe. But my my sole ambition when I'm, I was 14 at the time, mm -hmm. all I ever actually wanted back then was to join the Royal Navy. Uh, I wanted oh. to wear a smart uniform. I wanted a, a structured career path. Uh, I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was really all I wanted to do. So I it was at the back of my mind, and I continued to write, but um, it wasn't anything I did anything with. It was the Royal Navy was everything I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but I left school. Uh, I did all the. I went through the application process and the recruitment, and and sailed through, if you excuse the pun. Yeah. <laughs> and then they uh, 
they sent me up to Cheapside in East, uh, EC1, which is uh, in, in the centre of London, for my medical. And I went along there, you know, I've got my chest sticking out, all this brass, I'm, I'm going into the Royal Navy, you know, this is all I ever wanted, and I failed. I couldn't oh. believe it. You know, oh. I'm, uh, I failed on poor eyesight. Nothing. Uh, the glasses wouldn't sort out, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm partially deaf in one ear, not that you would ever know. But, right. uh, you know, the recruitment procedure was very stringent. And yeah. at yeah. that time, bearing in mind this is 1978, um, the armed forces were cutting back. We weren't having the conflicts that we have now. Yeah. Uh, I think the next major conflict we had after that was in the Falkland Islands, you know, um, which was in the early 80s. So they were scaling back. Uh, I still have these very vivid memories of uh, uh, being shell-shocked and walking back to the train oh. station. And I, I got in the carriage and I sat down and I just couldn't hold it back. I just tried. I absolutely bawled my eyes out. It was oh. everything that I had wanted for, for two years. Wow. And it just kind of fell apart, um, which really that got me. So, so really, I suppose, for the next three or four years after that, I was a bit lost. Um, yeah. In as much as you know, I, I followed work jobs for the money, not a structured career path. Because yeah, yeah, I because that fell through life. for you. Yeah, that yeah. fell yeah. through for you. It's only later when you're at my age now and you look back and think, "Wow, that really did affect me." Um, but yeah, I suddenly I found myself in sales and marketing um, in my early twenties, which was absolutely right for me because my career took off. And yeah. uh, uh, which was good, and it worked well for me. Um, I then wrote, you know, we'll keep on the on the book track here. I, I wrote another book in my late twenties called The Adolescent. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the process of writing this book again. I was really excited, and uh, and once I completed it, I was, I was so pleased with the originality of the storyline and the depth of characters. And I hadn't read or seen anything quite like it at the time so I sent it to maybe a dozen publishers up mm -hmm. and down the UK uh, and then one by one I got those rejections yeah I hear about that all the time <laughs> yeah uh, I, I, I'm not going to say it was heartbreaking but you know it was it was very disappointing um, yeah. by this time I'm, I'm in my kind of late 20s uh, and my career at this time had really kind of quite taken off and uh, I was managing several profit centers for uh uh, a large public limited company, a bit like your Fortune 500 companies. Right. Uh, so my career was kind of taking off, and um, and what with a young family at the time, you know, um, time was it was really at a premium. So I didn't mm -hmm. write for maybe another ten years. Oh, oh wow. wow! Yeah, but uh, there was always these stories at the back of my mind, and and I had one festering away, and it was back. 2005 I think it was yeah it must have been about 2005 uh, and I'd had this story in my mind for a good you know a good three four five years and every so often I still do this I'm terrible I get a, a, an exercise book and just start making notes you know um, mm -hmm. and I would make these notes and then I sat down and I thought right I'm going to write this story uh, and I from beginning to end it took me four months which which is pretty quick oh that's pretty that's fast good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's balancing it with work and a family too. So uh, when wow. the children are in bed, I go down to my study, I close the door, and I'm, I'm quite a structured person. And if I set myself targets, I, I hit my targets. So even when I'm yeah. ghostwriting, yeah. I say I will hit 
X amount of thousand words this week and I don't stop mm-hmm. until I hit them. Now, I might have to delete some later because I'm not happy or it has not quite in of my course, of course. Yeah, I get it. But I must hit the numbers and I must get it down. Um, yeah. So I wrote that book and um, I, I just gave it to friends and family and, and that was it really. But uh, yeah. at this time, I, I suppose moving on a little bit, my, my career had taken off further uh, uh, by now I'm, I'm with another big, large, uh, sort of multi-billion-dollar business, and uh, and I I was managing one of their wholly-owned subsidiaries, a company called Door Panels PLC. We were the largest door manufacturer in Europe. I had over five thousand customers and producing wow. around five thousand doors uh, a week. So it was it was a big business. Um, yeah. And the group that I was working for decided that what they wanted to do was to divest all of their manufacturing interests and focus solely on distribution businesses. Um, I, Because I was still very profitable, I was the last business uh, to be sold. But what, what they did is they, uh, they asked me to become the architect uh, for the sale of the business, really because um, – I'd been doing that for 20 years. I, I knew everybody, anybody yeah. that was in my industry in the UK or across Europe, I knew them. So you I was were, able You were to an work. asset. They were an asset, yeah. so they had to keep you, uh, right? <laughs> absolutely. So, it, I, um, yeah, so I became the architect for the business. Oh. Uh, the business was finally sold to a European consortium uh, who I, I knew all the people and I had worked with each of them before. Um, they wanted and contracted me to stay with the business for uh, another two years, uh, which was good. Um, but I lost the role as managing director, but took up the role as group uh, strategic development director. So I was looking more into Europe and the UK. Um, mm. But my... My ambitions were slightly different then, so I managed to negotiate a full year salary, but for three days a week. Well, oh nice! Well, that, Don't we wish that, we all could do that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was in quite a strong position, uh, mm-hmm. so I leveraged that because I wanted Friday through to Monday night for writing. This was something. Oh, that, that's where you started getting age, serious. This is, it's now burning away inside. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I started, I had a story to write and, and I started getting it down and, and I was enjoying the process. And then through social media, um, I came across a family that I knew that lived in South London. And these, this family were kind of larger than life characters. Uh, they really were. Um, they were building these really super fast hot rods, street legal cars. If you can imagine like the street outlaws that you have on your shows now, uh-huh. only they were doing it back in the 1970s with small little British cars with big five-litre oh. V8s. Oh, wow. In. Uh, like the they the original like Fast and the Furious, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I knew all the family. Uh, we lived all in the same area. Uh, and they were real characters. I mean, they uh, were renowned for uh, building super-fast cars and engines. And, mm-hmm. and Andy Harris in particular, one of the brothers, uh, he was an out-and-out street racer. And wherever he heard of a fast car Anywhere in the United Kingdom, he would get his Mark One Zodiac nitrous injection. You know, he would go up and find them and want to race them. Um, oh, and nice. Talking to these people again, and I started thinking, wow, 
you know, th th this is a story. So with their agreement, uh, we've got all of their, you know, got all their stories, the anecdotes, and, and I sewed them all together into a book, uh, which then I went ahead and uh, had published on Lulu, which then went to Amazon, iBookstore, and Barnes and Noble, uh, and it was out there and it was available, and mm -hmm. uh, it, it was a it was a good book. I was really pleased with it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. On reflection, if I wrote it again now, it would be better. But anyway, you learn as you get better. <laughs> we all, we all but, do that. Uh, yeah. All authors yeah. do that, definitely. Yeah. I love that but you it, said, though, like you had that, those stories were just in your brain. Oh, like, And I think that's what all writers have said when they've kind of put it is a pastime thing that they're doing yeah. is yeah. that these fire, this is a little fire in their brain. Just, I got to get this out. There's so many stories. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a lovely little saying I put on the end of the book, you know, if, if it's racing or in the streets or a tear up on the cobbles, then losing just isn't an option. And that kind of really summed up the Harris family. Um, so I, I did these books and, uh, I then went to work using my kind of sales and marketing skills, really. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. Within months, within months, you know, I, I was selling a lot of books. I was being featured in magazines and newspapers, uh, and that's not sh too shortly after that. Um, kind of talk started with uh, potential movie uh, producers in Ooh. the UK. Uh, but that was, yeah, it sounds interesting, but a lot of yeah. people just like yeah, to drink coffee and talk. But. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How great they are, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, I entertained them. I would sit down and I would listen, and and clearly it was in my mind that I wanted to drive this forward and and get the book made into a movie. But yeah. while those negotiations were carrying on, I then wrote a, a, another book. Only what? this was it, this was Britain Street Racing Legends, uh, and what I'd done is, is I'd piggybacked on the back of the Harris street racing book um but at the same time i piggybacked on the back of the fast and furious franchise uh, oh, yeah. you, can that, uh, you have these stories out these these movies out there which millions of people are going to the cinema to watch and they're, they're totally enthralled in what they're yeah, seeing and then when they, they come outside it's gone Where, what else have i got yeah so, um, yeah. Something for I that audience to do. Yeah. Absolutely, I piggybacked on the back of that, uh, uh, and that book that that sold extremely well too. Um, oh, that's cool, man. It, yeah, but on, on reflection, I I I wrote something for an opening in the market, which isn't really what I set out to do. I still have my kind of business brain, if you like, which yeah. is I'm sitting there thinking, actually, there's a strategic opportunity here, and I need to leverage it. Um, and that kind of goes against what what I set out to do. Don't get me yeah. wrong, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed writing those books. They were great fun, um, yeah. but it really wasn't what I wanted to do. Artistically, um, yeah. Absolutely. And it was about that time that a number of people had come to me and just said, look, uh, I've, got this, I've got this story to tell and I really want to tell it. And I say, okay, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. And then they say, yeah, uh -huh. would you write it for me? And we come to some agreement. Uh, and that's really how the whole kind of ghostwriting thing really started. Oh, um, wow. Okay. So yeah. you did, you get, you did get a couple of your books in there, but so you said that that's not really what you wanted to do with the books that you had put out. What direction did you really want to take? That, that came a little bit later. Um, I, I suppose 
after writing that very first, you know, ghostwriting that very first book, mm-hmm. um, and, and to be able to sit and to listen and to draw everything out of this person. Um, this was the first person I wrote. And, and of course, you can imagine they're quite guarded because there's feelings attached to some of these stories. Oh, of course. So it's very yeah. delicate and, 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 and kind of tiptoe around things, but just dig a little bit deeper to pull it out because it's important to get that dream book absolutely right. Uh, yeah. And equally, if you're telling a, a kind of biography, it, it's – um, it's almost like, it's almost therapeutic for some of these people, you know, to be able to get that story out there. You know, it yeah. needs to be told. Um, and when I finished the first one, I found it, even though my name wasn't on the cover, I found it immensely gratifying. Um, yeah. and, and I enjoyed that. And, and you know, somebody else then approached me and somebody else approached me. And, and each project... Um, I've just enjoyed every one. Uh, and I'm in a very fortunate position in as much as I'm retired. I don't have to do this. Right. I don't charge yeah. anything like some of the silly prices that you'll find on Google. I have two very simple criteria uh, for taking on a ghostwriting project. Number one is I like you. You're a nice person. Yeah. yeah, work with you. yeah. Nice. And the second one is that you've got a good story and you can tell it with some kind of passion. It means something to you, whether mm. it's good, bad, or indifferent, but you've got yeah. some some enthusiasm, some passion, something that we can both kind of draw from each other on that. Yeah. Uh, and when I get that, that's it. I know. I've got 65, 70,000 words to write now, and we're away. And, that's, uh, that is cool, though. That And just the different because that means that you're writing different genres because you're hearing different stories and you know, these different experiences. So how cool is that, that it's, that's like kind of an artist's dream, right? To be able to do it all kind of (laughs) very, yeah, just stays so diverse. So I have to ask you, what is the, uh, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but can you tell us a little bit about the football hooligan book? Um, I'm, um, I can only say that uh, because you've got a, a non-disclosure agreement for this particular one, but the book right, has sold. Yeah, the book has sold extremely well, uh, which is great. Uh, I say the book. I've written a few books now in the football hooligan genre. Um, it's uh, something that was it, it, it was very big in the UK only up until a few years ago. Um, there was a. a a very very talented film director called Nick Love, and uh, he adapted um, the Football Factory, which is originally written by John King, and the Firm, uh, which was a TV show. Al Hunter, yeah. I think, was that did that, and he adapted it for movies and very successful, very very right. successful, very low cost to make, very very high returns on video sales and things like that. See, look, I'm back into business mode again, right? Yeah, so yeah. You, yeah. But, that's the but, but you know, but you know, you mentioned that, but I have been dabbling. You know, I write novels, fiction novels, but I've been dabbling in uh, writing screen screenplays, and I've been doing a lot of studying on that, and that's the kind of thing that. You know, you said your business mind, but that really gives your, you know, listening to screenwriters that have had success in TVs. That's what they're looking for. The studios are Mm -hmm. looking for something that isn't going to cost that much to make, but is going to make money. So there's a, there's a lot of good reason for you to think about it that way, you know, in in your business mind. Absolutely. Um, that, that part of me will never go. And, and Dan, you're absolutely right. You know, there was a, 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 um, 
a comedy series here uh, many years ago called Blackadder, uh, Aid Edmonton, very, very funny. Yep. Uh, in the first season that was done, it, there, were, there was a lot of cost attached to um, all the locations and everything else. You could just see it. Uh, right. And then they brought in two new writers for, for going forward. Uh, a one young up-and-coming writer, this is the kind of 80s now, Ben right. Elton. Uh, very, very talented, but he could write something that was extremely funny, but focusing on just a few characters in just a few sets. And mm. that ah. was a low-cost, high-value yep. production, doesn't yep. it? Uh, and yep. I love that. But to, just going back to the football hooligan bits, you know, um, uh, it, it didn't take Hollywood, obviously, to have a, have a look at what was happening into the UK. And uh, and they then brought in Dougie Brimson. And Dougie Brimson, very talented writer. He's an extremely nice guy. We were going to work together on a, a project uh, some years ago, but it didn't happen. But anyway, they brought him in and they wrote Green Street Hooligans. Uh, it was very cleverly written because it appeals to not just the UK market, but also the American market. Um, because they brought in Charlie Hunnam and Elijah Wood in the kind of casting roles, really, and melded that kind of UK and, uh, and US piece together. Uh, it worked extremely well. For better market um, appeal, yeah, across the board. Yeah. That's right. uh, the, the Football Hooligan books, thoroughly enjoyed them. Um, in Literally in the last couple of months, I've been talking to a guy, funnily enough, uh, in your neck of the woods. He's in Florida, uh, who's, who's built up quite a, a brand for himself, and he's created a lot of media awareness. Uh, and uh, we're talking at the moment about a, um, a kind of a series of um, series of books which will lead to a kind of a movie franchise. But at this oh, moment cool. in time, it, it's it's just talk. Um, wow. But it's good talk. It's good yeah. talk. And he's, uh, he's an interesting character, this this person. You know, he's kind of off the wall. Uh, but <laughs> that's what you look, but that makes a that, good story. That's what's entertaining, it, yeah. It, it's gonna, he's different. He's very different. Um, he has the ability. He, he could be Marmite. I don't, do you have Marmite in, in America? Mm -mm. You either love it. It's a product that you either love or you hate. It's a, it's a food. Story. Marmite is a yeah. food, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But uh, he, he can be a little bit like that. He's a nice guy. He's interesting. He's got a lot of passion for what he wants to do. Yeah. Um, and he's still talking at the moment. If it happens, it will be, you know, it'll be next year now. Well, you know, oh, okay. we've, we've, we've got other friends that are, uh, you know, that are writers and the same kind of thing you just said, where they're in discussions with maybe making a movie mm -hmm. and it, you never know. We just, uh, never know. just our, our friend, uh, Scott Stevens is, he just finally, they got a deal now and they're picking actors for, yeah. but it's that same kind of thing where it kind of floats as you're yeah. having those negotiations. Yeah. You don't know if it's going to go on for years or weeks. So <sighs> I, that's very yeah. exciting. You never know. And yeah. we'll definitely keep our ears up to, to see how that goes. But it's yeah, still like I, any any part of the process is exciting, though. Oh, Even yeah. if it ends up not going through, it's just like you had your hands in a part of it. You know what I absolutely. mean? So uh, absolutely, yeah. And if you if you find yourself and any of your authors find themselves in, in that arena, then aim to sell the options. Don't try yeah. and close the deal mm -hmm. on the day. Give them the option to have the right to take it in 12 or 18 months. Yeah. Uh, and chances are you'll, you might even be able to sell your movie options two or three times. Uh, yeah. Again, back in the business head here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't, don't focus solely on I must get it over the line. Yeah. Sell yeah. the option. Well, um, Dean, we're yeah. going to have to have offline conversations because as an author, you know, I write as Daniel Fox, but I – 
am not good at marketing myself. And I, you know, it's why I'm shopping agent on this next novel because I would rather a publishing company take a majority of my sales profit if they did all the marketing for me, because that is the biggest problem. And I think I read somewhere Mm -hmm. in a book about how there are so many great stories that never get made and so many so-so stories that do get made because it's the right place at the right time with the right audience that you happen to hit with somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I I think Amanda Hocking is a really good example of that Um, with her vampire stories, you know, Mm -hmm. right time, right place, right product. E.L. James with Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, yes. Uh, Again, right product at the right time and sold millions. So, yeah. I would imagine there's going to be a lot of COVID COVID nineteen thrillers coming out here soon. <laughs> <laughs> so let, I, I want to jump back on something for a minute though. You've written a lot of you've written a lot of crime genre type stuff. Cool. So yeah. I'm curious when you did the ghostwriting for the Sad Road to Happiness by Allison Parker, that was a change up for you. And yes, I'm yeah. imagining that was a much different experience for you. It, it comes back to what I said earlier on. It, 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 it comes back to that criteria. If you're a nice person, you've got mm-hmm. a good story, then I can just get engaged with it. And uh, I met Alison, and she had a story to tell. Um, and, and she had suffered with dyslexia uh, during the kind of 1970s, which yeah, in that, England yeah. at that time, it, it was just a middle-class myth. People just thought mm-hmm. if you had that, you weren't particularly bright. Well, oh, actually right. – Alison Parker is a very bright lady. She has an IQ of 150. She's, you know, she's a bright lady, wow. uh, and she had a story to tell. Um, but it wasn't just dyslexia; it was also the seasonal affective disorder, SAD. And uh, and she, what she wanted, her objective was to get this story written. But it wasn't about selling bundles of books and making lots of monies and getting television deals. It was mm-hmm. she wanted to share her experience with others in the hope that if somebody else could see anything in there that they could relate to, it would make them feel better, just as she had. You know, when wow. she was yeah. Given, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not going to give away any of her story, but she was a lovely, lovely lady to work with. Uh, I thoroughly oh. enjoyed uh, the process. It was it was great fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Wow. Oh, wow. I, well, it's those kinds of stories. You know, and I, I, I understand you don't want to give away anything about the story, but it's it seems that it's those kinds of stories, those true life struggles that people go through and we've talked to other uh, yeah. other people that have written stories that mm-hmm. are kind of just d- weren't were meant to be for someone else if someone else has been through something like this then maybe it will help it'll you it'll help yeah and it, i know yeah. it's a noble cause but sometimes those become really big popular stories because everybody struggles with something absolutely I, I, yeah I think and this is where biographies are so interesting because yeah, I agree. success, you know, success in the face of adversity is just, it's wonderful. It's really uplifting, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and and I, I love it when, you know, when you hear people say that, oh, I read this, and it, it made me understand me so much more. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and you think that, that's a great story to held. And, and I know yeah. Alison has actually had someone say that to her, which is wonderful. Uh, and oh, I'm that, super that's... pleased for her. Oh, that is awesome. Great. So um, it sounds like a lot of people kind of find you probably through word of mouth for the ghostwriting. But if you could choose one person to ghostwrite for, who would you choose? As much as I enjoy a wide range of topics, I am most at home in the kind of true crime or fictional crime genre. Yeah. Um, I can really engage into that. Now, if I had to pick 
one person, it would probably be um, uh, a gangland criminal called Kenny Noy, um, a very clever businessman um, mm. who wasn't directly involved in the Brinksmat robbery in 1983, but he masterminded the, the sale of the gold. Um, the, the really clever bit that he did is he didn't take any of their money for the gold. He then took the taxes back off the tax man. Uh, very, oh. man. very, very clever man. Well um, thought out, yeah. It, it, and, and that intrigues me. There, there, there has mm. been some books written about him, but um, he's, he, as I understand it, he wasn't involved in that process. So to be able to, to talk to Kenny Noy and say, tell me more, tell me more, you know, oh, and get yeah. the real story, you know, the real depth, because if that's just the bit that we're being told on the surface, you can be sure there's a big chunk underneath. It's almost like a, a um, what's it called? In, uh, oh, oh I've, I've lost it now. I've lost it now. I'm thinking Titanic and you know, it's uh-huh. iceberg, like an iceberg. You've got this little uh-huh. bit on the top, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, just there you go. A big piece underneath the yes. water and you could just get at that. Oh my God! So, yeah, I, I, he would be a, a very interesting person uh, to do the book for. Um, there are a couple of others, uh, mm-hmm. uh, probably a, a guy called Mickey McAvoy, who actually organised that Brinks Map robbery. That was um, again, he carried out robberies on behalf of other gangs, uh, and then decided to go alone. Um, mm. There was a really good movie made called uh, Fool's Gold, and it starred Sean Penn. And again, it told a bit of the story. Uh, I think I've seen that. Yeah, seen with that Sean one. Penn in it. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I've seen that. That was again. That is the story of the Brinks map. Uh, again, okay. I just think that there is so much more. Um, but uh, yeah, Inter- that very, good, very that, interesting. That would be a good one to be told. Yeah, very <laughs> cool. Ha- now, have you have? <sighs> Let me get it out here. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever had, what's like some of the strangest requests that you've had for doing a, a ghostwriting project? Cause there has to have been some that are like, Whoa, this is a, Ooh, I don't know if I can do this. Or it's just a very, it could be interesting. It could be strange. It could be weird, whatever. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, you probably heard me sigh then, right? I probably, get, <laughs> oh, I'm not joking. I get at least four uh inquiries every single month where somebody will come on and they'll say i've got this fantastic story that i want you to write for me and uh i want you to write it and spend four five 550 600 hours writing that story for me i I want you to have it proofread and edited it all at your cost and then i want you to create a book cover and publish it, make it available online to everybody, and then I want you to leverage all the people that you know, and I might share some of those royalties with you. Really? Four of those every month. That is... I I really do, and I think, (laughs) if you're not prepared to invest in yourself, why would anybody else... Why would you exactly? No, asking for so something the crazy for free, ones. really. Uh, okay, see, so that's yeah, that's crazy. I, I was <laughs> thinking it was going to be like some crazy story they wanted, but yeah, I can totally relate to that. It's like when other authors ask you. I've had this example where other author, authors have asked me to proof their work. Like, can you can you do? And I'm like, I have a great editor. Here's her contact info, and they're like, No, no, no. I, I wanted you to just as a as a buddy 
as a as a, a fellow author and you're But like, you're trying to do this by yourself, you know what I mean? Like I don't have time for that. <laughs> it takes that takes longer than the writing. Yeah. All and that this, stuff. And this is a business where other people, you know, get to profit yeah. from the fact so- that they that's their job. Absolutely. Now, I'm, I am not a proofreader. I am yeah. not an editor. Sure. I recognize the skills that I have and the skills I don't. If yeah. I try to edit and proofread it myself, I fall into the trap of reading the story yes. because I wrote it. I yeah. know what's coming next. Yeah. I'm, I'm so close to that story. I know what the next sentence is. I can't yeah. proofread it. Yeah. Um, so no, with I'm with all you. Of, I... Yeah. yeah. So with all of my uh, ghostwriting projects, then I outsource it to a professional editor mm-hmm. that will yeah. proofread it. I pay her a sum of money. And of course. Very good. And yeah. if people contact me and say, Dean, can you help me out here? I mean, I do do other services, but can you help me out here? I always push them straight over um, to Deborah. That's Deborah Becker. She's very good. All right, we're going to put Deborah Becker's link in the show notes too for you guys that are listening. If uh, you know, if you're an author and you're looking for an mm-hmm. editor, um, but Dean, so you know, we interviewed S. Clark Cray about his book Alfie Cray. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. episode sixty-four of the podcast. For those of you who may want to go back and listen to it or watch it, um, we heard from him about this, about you know the process and all. But I, I kind of wanted to hear you kind of tell us from your angle how this whole thing came about okay yeah this is it's funny actually i'm uh, i just finished a uh, a project true crime project and i probably had a couple of months before my next one was due to start yeah. uh, and i'm a member of a couple of groups on facebook and one in particular is the craze and, and gangland uh gangland london i think it was right. and it's run by a lovely lady called carol martin so I contacted Carol and I said, look, would you mind if I just put a post up that just said, look, if you have a, a story to tell, but you don't have the time, energy or experience, contact me, Dean Rinaldi, ghostwriter. Uh, and Carol said, yeah, absolutely, you can do it, Dean, which is wonderful. Um, so I put that up there uh, and I had three people contact me within a couple of days. and But one of them shone out like uh, uh, like a beacon in a storm, if you like, you know. Uh, and this was Scott S. Clark Cray, you know. Yeah. It, you know the, the enthusiasm was leaping out the page of me, yes. you know. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, and now, okay, let, let, let's think about this one. This is... Uh, is S. Clark Cray. He's related to uh, the notorious Cray twins. That's William yeah. and Reg. And to put that into perspective for some of your American audience, this is the equivalent of Al Capone. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, Whitey Bulger. What, what was Lucky the name Luke. of that movie? Was the name of the movie Legend? I can't remember the Legend. Was it Legend? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Legend. Superb movie. I loved um, it. Acted uh, by Tom Tom Hardy. He yeah. played both parts of Ron and Reg. Um, so very different those twins. They, that's what was so cool to see in the movie because yeah. they had totally different personalities. Absolutely, you know, uh, Reg was very much the kind of cool, calm, collected businessman, very capable. Yeah. Uh, whereas Ron. On a bad day, you'd probably liken him to Tony Montana yes. from Scarface, oh, acted out by Al Pacino. He was yeah. like standing there with a machine gun, just yeah. shooting everybody. <laughs> he was, he, his side of the story to me was so entertaining because he was a loose nut. Ooh. He was ready to go nuts. You didn't want to be around time. him. <laughs> 
<laughs> absolutely, absolutely, uh, I, and yeah, he was he was notorious for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So of course, you know, having a, a genuine member of the Cray family approach you. Right. Um, my first thoughts, like my initial thoughts, were look, the the Cray twins books have been done to death. Really, sure. there's seven there's seventeen publications I know of. Oh um, wow! But this is this is a this is something new. This is Alfred Cray. Um, and Alfred Cray was rumoured to have been uh, the architect of many of the heists that took in and, took place in and around uh, London, and then an international trader in uh, diamonds and, and um, gemstones, etc. Um, but he was brought in as family to the twins. He was uncle to the twins to run Esmeralda's barn. Uh, which was a nightclub casino in Knightsbridge, which is right in the centre of London. And this is 1962, and the twins have just kind of expanded their criminal empire uh, across London. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, so uh, immediately you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, so this guy is looking at Esmeralda's barn. He's frequented by kind of aristocrats, politicians, uh, criminals, working girls, rent boys. You know, this, this is a real den of inequity. Mm-hmm. And Alfie Cray, the person could move very smoothly and easily between the upper classes and your downright violent criminals. He can move very easily. To me, that made him a really interesting character. That is um, very, and, yes, very uh, and of course Scott had lots of stories to be able to tell, which we we spoke over and over and over, and and uh, and we managed to pull the whole thing together quite well. Uh, it was a very exciting project, uh, and I really enjoyed working with Scott. Lovely fella. Yeah, and probably a lot of research involved in that kind of story because you probably want to get the time period, you know accurate dates, accurate things like that to bring, you know, cause it's real life things that happen, but you turned it into a fictional story. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, the key bit there, I, I believe is, is what you do is you, you take as your anchors, if you like facts, mm-hmm. you take yeah. those facts and you build your story around those facts. If you look at say, yeah, like a Broadwalk empire, Tremendous TV show. Um, that was, yeah, oh, so fantastic. Yeah. And yet he dropped in about Al Capone and things like that. Yeah. So he, he'd anchored real things that had happened. So they, you come away and it's a believable story. Yeah, we call, is, it, we call it historical fiction. And I like, I love yeah. the, the Bulwark Empire, but I, that's why I love some of the old Westerns like Wyatt Earp or Young Guns or whatever, yeah. because so much of it really happened, but all the gaps in between they had to fill. So, yeah. so it, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, drives up the story you know some of the stuff you never would really know if it happened but it doesn't really make a story if all you do is list the things you know now you're writing a history book so yeah yeah, that's super Uh, and ultimately what you're looking to do is to entertain the readers you know i always say that it's those opening chapters that are absolutely critical you've got to engage the reader at an emotional level They've got to want to continue to invest their time in the rest of your book. Amen. So those first open chapters are, are critical to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, really after that, uh, 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 yeah, sorry, sorry um, really getting somebody hooked on your first book. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because then they want more from that author. Uh, yeah, it's like yes. first book, first chapters, first sentence. There's one of those yeah. master classes out there. I was I watched a little snippet from, but I wish I could remember the author's name because I know I do this all the time. But it was uh, James Patterson. Actually, I just finally remembered it. But he wrote 
that even if you can, the first sentence of the first page of your book can serve as a critical component to getting people, especially now where everyone's sort of, you know, ADD. Um, yeah. So I couldn't agree with you more. The first few chapters of a book, and if you don't have somebody within the first chapter or so, you're going to lose them. They're mm -hmm. going to drift off and never finish absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, absolutely. You, you've got those opening chapters, those first 10 to 12,000 words, you've got to nail it. You know, yeah. they, they have got to be connected at an emotional level. Yeah. Um, and if you don't think you've done it, Go back and do it again. Yeah. You know, that, that's it. Just go back lots and do it again. Of, lots of rewriting goes around in this house. Yes, lots <laughs> of. Um, so on your website, the, I saw that you ghost wrote a business book, which actually would make a lot of sense to me after talking to you because you're so, you're like in business mode. But mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that because I love for the people listening that they can see that you're a ghostwriter to all sorts of genres of books. So yeah. this is, you're not limited to just no. um, true crime type books or historical no. fiction. You have such a wide variety of topics that you can cover and um, present it accurately based on what they want you to write. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd love to. Just before we do that, I'll just finish with with uh, S. Clark Cray because okay. once his book was out and uh, which was great, I got a message from from Scott. He said that uh, there was a drive by shooting on his house, and this is just shortly after the book was released. And this is fact. Uh, and initially, my, my thoughts were, "Oh my God, you know, maybe you know, is this some kind of historical?" You know, retaliation or yeah absolutely you know uh, because there were things in that book that are true that haven't yeah. been featured before and that's your first kind of thoughts and then you think or was it or was it just some gun-toting criminal that yeah. just happened to be driving down an affluent road in Tampa yeah. and opened up his shots on Scott's house I said, yeah. we'll never really know that. No. <laughs> but that's an that was an interesting one. You know, I haven't read it from Scott. It was so it, matter yeah. of fact. You know. yeah. It's but, so uh, more intriguing now that you said that. Yeah. It's like, uh, absolutely. That's completely true. You know, um, it was wow. in the Tampa newspaper. Um, but anyway, moving on to your question. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wrote this. Uh, I was contacted, funny enough, from a guy in America. Um, and I hadn't written a business book before, but... Uh, what this guy wanted to do, he was quite clear about what he wanted because his daily right, his daily daily charge out rate, uh, had dropped by nearly fifty percent, uh, and he was finding it increasingly to get well paid work. Uh, and what he wanted to do was to stand out over and above some of his competitors. Uh, and it made a lot of sense to me because uh, I think having a book with your name is probably one of the best business, you know, your name on the cover as the author is probably one of the best business cards that you can have. It sets you aside from sure. other people. You are going to stand out in the crowd. Um, and anyway, we had a chat and, and obviously with, with my background as well, listening and talking to him, I could see that he was, he was very talented and he was clearly able to deliver uh, the services he did, uh, um, but I talked him into making this much more uh, of a, a story that still had those outcomes, but I wanted to include how it impacted those people in the business. So it became more of a, a broader and wider appeal, if you like. Um, yeah. and other, other than that, it's just, it, it's just a, 
it's a statement, isn't it? I came in, I did this, I did that, and that was the end game. You know, but well, that's for accountants. You know, what we're looking for here is I want you to read this story and show how it impacted positively those people in the yeah. business. Some of those people, it didn't. Some of those people had to go. Well, that's part of the process uh, mm-hmm. of that kind of business anyway. Um, anyway, he, he told me what he wanted, and we agreed a format. Uh, and within the 30 weeks, I wrote the book for him uh, and had it published. And uh, what he decided to do, he was going to start looking further afield for his work. And he'd uh, contacted a couple of companies in Dubai. And uh, he went over there. And uh, on his first interview, he placed the book down on the table, you know, told me a little bit about himself. And I'm an author. Uh, and after I spoke to him later, he said, he said, Dean, he said the whole nature of the interview changed completely. Completely. Wow. It wasn't sitting back, arms folded, I'm just going to fire questions at you, along with the next 10 people to come in. It uh-huh. changed completely. At the end of the interview, he left the book with him. He was called back for the second interview and given the job. Amazing. Now, lovely fella, very nice guy. He, he, he deserves all the success that he has because he's very good uh, at what he does, and he's now making more in a week than he was making in a month in the U.S., Wow. Um, so his strategy was to have a book written about his skills and what he could deliver, and it worked really well. That um, is so. He had a really good vision. I mean, yes, he, he did. He had yeah. a vision that I, this is something that I need to do. So, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh, that is quite a kind of chilling story. Like amazing. I also you know? like that you kind of did it in wow. a story format. Yeah. I would have never thought. I was thinking more of like a how-to business book, which those are so boring. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I, what I wanted, I wanted real characters in there, you know, tell me about the people. Now, yeah. and, and you start asking those questions and you start telling me a little bit more and a little bit more. And you could see how it was impacting people around the business. Some people engage fully into change. Others are highly resistant. They, yeah. they yeah. don't understand why they are. Personality they just types. are. Yeah. Um, and, and it was important to bring that out into the into the story as well but ultimately he was very successful and he delivered uh you know his deliverables were as the brief uh, oh. and that's what i wanted that's what we wanted uh, i thought it was tremendous foresight with him really he recognized that he couldn't write that story but he knew what he wanted to say uh, and yeah. i could write it you know over time i could write it in his voice um, so that, that was wow. great. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. that. That was, again, that's to come back down into your study and you've got another really exciting, different project. Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, that's exciting. I love what? that I can see the enthusiasm on your face when you talk about that. Like, I, I was, you're, like this is this is the job you were meant to do. You know what yeah, I mean? I like, you can see it on you, definitely. I was going to say, Dean, you clearly have a passion for your work, but I, I'm curious what you're working on now. I mean, can you tell us what you're working on now? Maybe ghostwriting projects or maybe even your own stuff. I can, actually. Uh, this, is, this is fantastic, actually. Uh, quite by chance, uh, only a couple of months back, uh, I've got Take it back a little bit. I've had this story in my mind for some time, and uh, quite by chance, I was introduced um, to the lead singer of a big 1970s rock and roll group. Uh, they were very big in the UK. I don't think they did anything in the US, but they were huge. I mean, they were doing like 250 gigs a year. They were on all the major shows and everything. Uh, and uh, uh, and I, I suppose I was quite a fan uh, as a young kiddie back in the 70s. And, mm-hmm. anyway, Can you tell uh, us who or no? 
I, I can't at the moment, okay. but I will be able to in, in some time. That adds but, the intrigue. Uh, That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, the, I think one of the most wonderful things was actually, actually when I once I started talking to him, what a lovely fella, really nice, grounded guy. You know, oh, wow. uh, not full of himself, not that he, he wasn't like that at all. Just a really nice guy. And yeah. I took through from some of my ideas and uh, he liked them. He liked them a lot. And and we decided that we would work together. And this last, actually, this, this last six weeks, I've managed to put out, as of today, I finished at five today, I've managed to put out 46,000 words. Uh, wow. Wow. That, that for me, that I, I don't. I normally will take six months to do a project, but this story is writing itself. Uh, I'm I'm going to be with a pen and paper by the side, and I'm waking up and writing something down, and uh, I'm adding more depth to the characters, and and I'm thoroughly thoroughly enjoying it, the process. It's a it's a, a subcultural novel, a subculture novel based sure, in the sure. 1970s, and uh, Behind it as well, there's a rationale behind it. Um, Now, this particular group and the genre of music they produce has over a million um, fans on Facebook. You know, so if if you start thinking from a a business perspective, because for the first time ever, this actually works very well for me because I'm thoroughly enjoying writing the book, but the business bit is ticking away as well. It's saying, well, if they've got a million uh, and I'm writing a trilogy, uh, we're doing a trilogy together, then if I get just 2%, just 2% is 60,000 books. Yeah. Now, 60,000 books, it's a bonus. You're very happy with that. But not yeah. only that, it gives you a platform then, you know, yeah. for, um, you know, for television and movie interest because yeah. you know, you, you've, you've actually tapped in to an existing market and something that's never been done before in this, in, for this particular subculture group. It's been done about football hooligans and it's been done about skinheads and things like that, but not this particular group, even though it's huge and arguably the very first uh, subculture in in the UK. Um, And subcultures supported by music trends in the UK is probably the biggest on the planet. We've probably had more than, than anybody else. Yeah. yeah, growing up in the seventies, I could I could tell you half a dozen straight away. Um, you know, there were these different kind of subcultures, and and this one has been really exciting to write. I had to stop at five o'clock today. I could have carried on, um, wow. but to hit that forty six thousand words uh, in six weeks is I'm really pleased with myself. Uh, I will have this book first draft will be finished um, certainly by the end of March. Uh, if not before. Wow. Uh, that sounds so, interesting. Yeah. I mean, just your enthusiasm behind it. You're like, oh, I got, I need to know what this is. What is the subculture? Oh, I, you know, I'm going to start Googling as soon no. as we get off the call. I've got to figure it out now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, um, it's very different. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm really inspired uh, working with this guy as well because he's, um, he's a nice guy and he has the brand and I have the product. And in any business, that works extremely well. You know, he's the face, the name, but I've got the story. Uh, yeah. And he loves the story. He, 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 I just wrote a, a very, very kind of a, a summary of it and his eyes lit up and he was straight back to me. And, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I like that. 
Oh, and I've seen anything like that before. Yeah, I can. I yeah. kind. I kind of get the impression too that you writing the story, it's kind of taking you there, right? To maybe oh. you're a part of that subculture. Oh, oh absolutely. You there and you're kind of living it, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this is fun." <laughs> yeah, I, I I love this. You know, I, I will sit in my study here. I will put some music on from that particular year. And I close my eyes and the pictures come in and the characters start forming. And, and, and it, it, you have your protagonist, your antagonist, your conflict, your resolution, and it's all happening. And you just, you're there and you're away. Um, and I love dialogue in books. I think it's so important because you're being drawn in just as you are sitting here listening to people talk or something. You're just drawn in. Um, and I do believe a good book is a, a nice mix of show and tell. And uh, I'm yeah. just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying this one. I mean, I enjoy all my products, sorry, yeah. projects. But this one... Uh, yeah, this this one this one's this one's just here to hit the spot. Uh, I will write the trilogy. I will have that. Uh, what I can't make up my mind about at the moment is whether to write the whole trilogy first, release them, or release one book, then a second, and when the, then the third. Uh, I've not decided on that yet. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll speak to uh, the other guy, yeah. but uh, so I, I like I'm not the sure. idea releasing them one at a time I do too. because I feel like it just yeah, it just it's, makes it gets, people just go like oh yeah. I want that so it bad drives and up, it, yeah the excitement and is, they when when it releases it is crazy crazy town you know that yeah. it's and, like and it gives crazy. it time and it gives it time for chatter to build too mm-hmm. for like people but that maybe missed the first one uh, I, I would agree with Angie I feel like there's so much synergy that builds with it and you have a captive audience like you said even if you only yeah. get a small percentage uh, I feel like yeah. It'll, it'll, there'll be like a stir just yeah. from people talking. Oh, did you read this book? And then it could yeah. be that when book two comes out, some people are just getting book one because they just heard about it. Yeah. Uh, that also, again, from a business perspective here, then you can start um, exploring your pricing strategy as well. So you oh, start yeah. bringing in those volumes on, on book one and you can increase your price slightly on book two and again on book three because yeah. you've got your audience now. They're in. Right. They don't yeah. care about another dollar. They really they don't. don't. They want yeah. They want the story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my latest one. I can't say too much more about it, that's but I'm very book. excited. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, that's your, that sounds super interesting. That's your latest ghostwriting project. Are you doing any of your own stuff now, or are you kind of putting that on the shelf for now? Uh, that's on the shelf at the moment. Um, okay. I'm, I'm meeting a guy. Um, I'm meeting a guy. He's a, uh, in April uh, through somebody here, funny enough. And this guy was an internet, uh, an international bank robber right across Europe. Uh, he wow. had uh, a group of guys that carried out arm raids right across Europe. Um, so I'm going to meet with him in April because uh, I think that that's potentially a, 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 another great story to tell. I'll only know when I actually get down to sit down and talk to him because he might have a great story. But sometimes, you know, I've had this in the past where some of um, Britain's most uh, notorious and infamous uh, gangsters' family members will uh, approach me about working and writing a book or something, mm-hmm. and I can get quite excited about the story because I know who they are uh, and there's still stories to tell. But after 10 minutes talking to him, you think, I can't work with you. 
Yeah. Just not going to be able to work with it. The synergy between you has to be there to be able to tell the story correctly or the energy. You're not going to put the right energy into it, I believe, you know? Absolutely. And you've nailed it there because it all comes back to that very simple two criteria I have. You know, if I like you and you have a great story with enthusiasm, we're on. We're going to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to make it happen. And and that's it. Um, So I'll I'll be meeting this guy in April. Uh, It has the basis of a good book. Um, So that'll be good. And I've got another project to start in, sorry, in April I'm meeting him. Uh, Mm. uh, An object to start uh, that's been confirmed now for, sorry, July. Um, So uh, I can't say too much on that one at the moment. But it's going to be a fictional novel again. uh, So for somebody else with a story to tell, um, my name won't feature on that one. Uh, And that's the thing with a ghostwriter. You know, I've got 14 books I've written. Wow. You're keeping very busy. Do you have any time for reading yourself? Uh, yeah, I do read. Uh, I, I like to read uh, Winsley Clarkson. I think he's a he, he's a damn good author, uh, and I enjoy his work. And Is that your favorite books. author? Is he your favorite? I, I do enjoy his work. Um, it's very difficult to put down his books, and I like that. Um, I do like that. And uh, Dougie Brimson as well. I mentioned him earlier. He wrote the um, Green Street Hooligans, and he's written several books himself. Uh, I think he's been number one in the charts now for one of his books for over a decade and some 350,000 books. That was just one of his books. Um, But they're very laddish books, and they're the kind of things I can pick up and read, and I find myself laughing out loud because at some point in my life I've met someone like that or I know someone like that, and you can just visualise it. Uh, And I think he's a very talented guy, and I like his work. So if I am going to sit down and read something, chances are it would be Wensley Clarkson, uh, a Dougie Brimson, or or something that's true true crime. Um, That's your kind of go-to genre? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Something, yeah, with a bit of depth to it, you know, something that you haven't heard before. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, um, so you're busy ghostwriting. Um, is there any other services that you do? Cause I read something about mentoring. That's true. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, there's a couple of things I do. I said earlier, people do ask me about editing and proofreading. I don't do that. I always yeah. hand that out to uh, Rebecca. She's very good. Um, but what I am able to do there is a uh, Jill. She has all the software here. She'll uh, produce people their book covers or the, um, or uh, promotional material for their books, which I'm happy to do, or she's happy to do. Um, and what I have done quite recently, uh, we've taken a stake in a uh, a business that produces cinematic um, book trailer videos. Uh, it's still very early days, but I've uh, probably done about a dozen or so so far. I've not really been promoting it. And that, that I think, is, is, books won't sell themselves. Yeah. Uh, if you've got something very visual, I think it's the best uh, the best that you can have because something you know yourself. So you look on Facebook and something's just written, you might gloss over it. If something's written with a picture above it, you may read part of it. Mm-hmm. If it's a video and it's short, yeah. It's got you. And yeah. if it's short, punchy with the right music and the right images, before you know where you are, you've watched it through to the end. Yeah. Um, now, th- these videos are 30, 60, and 90 seconds long. Yeah. Um, and I do offer uh, the services of professional voiceover actors 
So that's the voices of Morgan Freeman, Dame Judi Dench, Ray Winston, you know, there are literally yeah. hundreds of, of names that are available. Again, it's quite new for me, um, oh, but it is. But yeah, it's again, it is, it's coming back to you know, whether you're a first time or an established author, you know, books mm -hmm. don't sell themselves. Uh, yeah. And this is yeah. a pretty low cost way of putting something out onto, uh, I think there's 13 or 14 uh, video sharing platforms now online. And clearly the more exposure that you get, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, oh, and the list goes yeah. on. You know, um, all right. of it goes some way towards helping uh, providing you with exposure for building a brand for you as an author and promoting your book and getting sales. So, yeah, um, yeah, that, that's, yeah that's something else I am doing. You're dabbling a little bit of everything there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, again, it comes back. Except for the editing, and I understand why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, again, it's people just say, uh, you know, sometimes I, I write a book for somebody and it, it's all done and dusted. And, uh, and I could probably describe this best as you're having this, you know, you've built a race car, but it's mm -hmm. inside your garage, right? What you've got to do is now open up the garage door, get it out in the drive, wash it down, start it up, and get it out onto the racetrack. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's your marketing part. Um, sometimes people will have a book written and they just, I say, I've done it now. Why isn't it selling? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. work yeah. that way. Right. Uh, and I, I'm not saying that cinematic video book trailers is the answer to everything. It's not, but it goes some way towards help getting you greater exposure at yeah. a very low cost. And always talking about your book, because I know Dan has a problem with that sometimes because he feels like he might be being pushy. Yeah. But true. no, like, hey, there's a lady over there at the library at the campsite looking in the books. You know, sometimes they have like a little library. Go get a book out of the car. Like take your book I, to her. Like get it in her hands. Because you never know whose hands absolutely. it's yeah. Absolutely. I'll give you a quick example, if you don't mind. Uh, when I was promoting the book, The Harris's, I was contacted by a place called the Ace Cafe in West London. It's been there for years. It's a huge cafe and people that drive motorbikes and hot rods and American cars uh, will go there to live bands. And the place is packed out seven nights a week. And they contacted me and just said, look, we would really like to do some kind of joint promotion and um, they, they like my work, and uh, I, I donated some books. I can't remember how many. It might have been 20 or 30 books, which is a bit of a cost, but, you know, in the whole scheme of things, for somebody to be standing up and doing a raffle in front of hundreds of people, night in, night out, saying, and the next prize is The Harris's by Dean Rinaldi, the right. real yeah. Fast yeah. and Furious. And, and then you've got people in the audience going, I've heard of The Harris's. They're the ones that build those cars. Blimey, I bet there's a story and a half there. And, uh -huh. man, you know, and the book starts selling. You know, you spend a few hundred dollars, the equivalent, and, and you're getting that exposure. Uh, and yeah. the next thing, because of that, they then contacted me again and said, look, we're putting on a car show. Uh, we're sponsoring it. Would you come down and do a book signing? And so I found myself wow. down in Brighton on the on the um, on the south coast, and I'd be doing book signings down there. And and then I'd be talking to people in uh, the operating car magazines, and and we start talking. And and of course, between guys and a, a passion for cars, you know, uh, it all starts coming out. And then they say, look, come do a book signing for us, and uh, and yeah. they put you up in a hotel, and they give you a stand, and and you're away, and and. Yeah. 
it's not work to be able to sit there no. and yeah. talk to lots and lots of people about a shared passion. Yeah, um, it doesn't work at all, man. So coming right back to what you said there, Angie, you're absolutely right. You know, yeah. if there is an opportunity, take it because you never know where it's going to lead. Yep. You know, uh, you can't sit back. You know, you know, time is a very precious resource. Make the absolute most of it. And if you're putting so much time aside to promote your books, make sure you leverage every minute uh, out of that. Uh, and I believe passionately, and I really do believe this, that uh, if you push and you push and you push, sooner or later something gives. It will. It, it's, the, it's the unwritten rule of sales. Everything you do now will come good in three months' time. Yeah. Wow. I believe yeah. that. Uh, and that's yeah. strategy, and, and it's important to do. And it's fun. You yeah. Know, it's fun. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah, just be able to talk about your book to people, yeah. sit there and, and have Absolutely. somebody come up and show the appreciation for it. And, oh, will you sign my book? Oh, you're a little rock star. Like, that's how yeah. I feel. <laughs> I, I agree. But I think, Dean, with you, it's more your – your sort of business acumen and your mm. sales and marketing experience coupled with your writing, that's a very good match a for good an author. Mix. Yeah. Because a lot of us on the author side don't have that. We, we need someone like you to help with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it, that, that's the hardest part of all. I, mean, I, I tend to think that, you know, writing a book is only 20% of the work. Yeah. The yeah. rest of it, the other 80% is getting yourself out there and marketing. Um, and what I do do, when I've, um, uh, what I do, when I take on a ghostwriting project, at the end, when the book is published, what I do do is I send over something like 50 suggestions for them to mark, mm. to help market themselves. And these suggestions are free. What it takes yeah. is time. Yeah. I was going to say your effort and you're determination. Going, oops, sorry, you're going up. Above what you're even hired to do, because you're trying to, you know, teach them and mentor them. Kind of, hey, this is this is your next step. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think I'm the I think I am. I think I'm the only ghostwriter that will actually take you right from the concept of your story, see it right away through to publication with everything in between. Make sure that you are then listed with the major sites. But after that. You know, here is some information to say, I would suggest that you incorporate this into your strategy um, to sell, the, yeah. uh, you know, to sell your book. Um, yeah, it, it, it's important to carry that enthusiasm on, you know, 20%. Yeah. That's what it is. Writing a book is hard work, you know, but then if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be worth doing. Right. Um, okay. And at the end of it, you've created your legacy. You know, I think that's so important, particularly on people that write biographies. You know, if you don't do this, your story will never be told. You'll be the nothing more than a couple of lines on Ancestry.com or something. Yeah. You were yeah. born here, you died here, and you did this because it's on your marriage certificate. And there is so much more to you than that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a legacy. I love it put that way. I love it put that way. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So Dean, tell us what's next. Where do you see yourself in five years? I mean, I know that's a ways away, but you know, yeah. I always uh, like it, yeah. well, what's next? Like, is there something that you're kind of going after that you want to accomplish in the next few years? Let us know. 
um, I'm not looking to create any kind of business. I'm very, very happily retired. Um, what I would like is a nice steady stream of interesting projects to come in. Uh, and, and I'm very fortunate that that, that is happening. I, I like that. Um, I would like, well, actually, I had some good news today. Um, I, 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 as you know, I, I worked with S. Clark Cray with uh, Alfie Cray, the asset. Um, we did agree uh, to do three books together. Uh, I'm about halfway through the second book, and Scott asked me to put it on hold. Um, you know, he, he wanted it shelved for the time being. I think he was consumed with other things. But uh, right. funnily enough, he came back today. <laughs> okay. Incredible, really. He came back on today, and he left a message. He said, Dean, we've really got to get you get the second book done. Um, now, that's going to be a tough one. But I will get it done this year because I'm in a very fortunate position. I'm... I'm over 30,000 words in. So, wow. uh, and I know we know the story. We've sat down between us and we've, we've literally got it laid out by chapter in the second book and in the third book. Um, uh, and it's funny, actually, the second book is in America as well. And I'm, I'm so excited because, again, you can so, there's so many interesting things happened in America in, in 1964. You know, it was a real transitional year. Uh, and to have Alfie Cray uh, in Los Angeles at that time. Uh, very interesting. Really oh, cool. enjoying that. So cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that done. Uh, other than that, you know, yeah, just a nice steady stream uh, of interesting projects, lovely people with great stories, uh, and it's a nice way to spend your retirement. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully yeah. we can bring some interest to somebody out there. Thank you very much. <laughs> and they will be um, reaching out to you. Yeah, Thank I don't you. think you're going to have any problem fulfilling yeah, that. That I don't uh, either. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, um, where do you? Uh, where can people find you, Dean? Um, you can find me on Facebook uh, as Dean Rinaldi, ghostwriter, um, publisher, author, uh, or you can find me on my website, which is www.deanrinaldi/ghostwriter.com. Uh, you can contact me either one of those ways. Um, so look, anybody listening, if you have uh, a story that you really do need to share, uh, but you don't have the time, uh, the energy due to work or family commitments um, or the experience to see a project through to publication, then contact me, Dean Rinaldi, and uh, let's see what we could do together. Excellent. We'll put oh, all those it. links in the show notes and in the YouTube notes. So if you're listening or watching now, you can just scroll down and click that link and get, get in touch with Dean. That's right. Wonderful. Don't, just, don't just be an entry on ancestry.com. <laughs> Absolutely. Story. Don't. <laughs> you have an amazing story. That is so a, that reach is a, out to Dean. That is a great okay. sort of tagline right I pl there. I plugged ancestry.com too. Look at that. <laughs> hey. <Sponsorship>, people. <laughs> Dean, thank, thank you so you. much for taking the time with us. This has been so interesting, and, uh, you know, we wish you continued success. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for enjoy inviting me onto your show. I really enjoyed it. Thank right. you, Angie. It's lovely to see you, and you thank you, Dan. I hope to see you in, in person one day. That would be lovely. I would really like that, whether that's here or, or whether that's um, in, in Florida. Because I, I want to see your mom again, you know, uh, both Jill and I do. Uh, and Jeremy, you know, 
I always, I, I've always thought Jeremy was just a cracking, well, I don't know if he's a of course he's a grown man with his family. <laughs> so for those of you listening, Dean knows my family and years and years and years ago, he, uh, he, when I was a teenager, he, he mm. came to Florida with his family and, and stayed with us for a bit. And this was the first time I'd talked to Dean since then, but uh, wow. yeah, it would be so cool to see you again in person, whether it be yeah. here or there, we'll have to, you know, continue to stay in touch and see who's going to be there. All right, Dean, you have a great rest of your evening over there in Turkey. And uh, and we look forward to helping in any way that we can in the future. So just reach out if you need anything at all, okay? Thank you, Ange. Thank you, Dan. Right, Good night, everybody. You. Thank you so much, Dean. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, for those of you listening, watching, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. What an interesting interview. Another international interview. Yeah. That was really cool to learn all about ghostwriting and what Dean does. Oh, it what really was. What a cool was. job, man. I know. Such a variety of, of different kinds of I books. Uh, the mentoring, the just the, yeah. the guy's got it going on for sure. So I love it. If you guys have a story to tell, which like he said, everybody does. Definitely uh, shoot him a message and get your story out there if you've ever yeah. thought about it. How yeah. cool would that be? How cool would that be to have your story out there? Anyway, guys, we had a pretty exciting weekend. Um, so we went camping at a local place called Little Bit of Little Bit of Life. It's an urban farm right here. It's considered a popka, correct? Oh, is it really? Oh no, it's considered Mount Dora. Okay. Okay. I'll put a mind. link in the show notes so you yeah. can find it. But yeah. it's a really cool little urban farm. And we actually camped on the property and we yeah. did a little tour of the farm. So and many animals there. It's very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. So we definitely encourage you guys to check that out. Um, we'll put the links in the show notes and on our website so you can check it out. And um, I'm sure you'll probably put a video or something together. I will at some there, point. So. <laughs> I will put it in the next week or so. I'll put together a video that I'll put on our YouTube channel. Yeah. Also, we talked about Tracy, who runs and owns the farm out there. Yeah. Uh, she may be a guest on the show coming yes. up. So we're working on that. Yeah, too. we're going to message her and hopefully have her on the show so you can hear all about it. Yeah. And I do want to remind everybody that our favorite Italian restaurant Italian restaurant. Um, they are doing their grand opening for the market yes. that they opened. Yeah. So we're super excited to check that out this weekend, the 26th. It yep. starts at 8 a.m. Um, and ends at 8 p.m. on the 27th. That's this upcoming weekend. Very nice. Let me tell you guys, you've got to check it out. We're going. Yeah, there is um homemade pasta. The the pasta are artesian pasta workers are actually there making it you can watch them through a window yeah um just amazing items in the store there they're going to have free tastings they're going to have giveaways it's a true grand opening so please check out tornatory's italian market grand opening february 26th and 27th oh this is going to be awesome so we're going to have a busy weekend (laughs) because we also have wakaiva paint out so at wakaiva island they do the paint out, which we talked about a yep. couple times so far. And this is just where they invite artists from all over the place to come and paint the Wakaiva. So okay. it's painting outdoors. Yeah. Beautiful scenery. Really is. To be inspired by. And I, 
I've yeah. been to one of those years ago. It is amazing. Yeah. They, uh, you can just see the artists sitting up and down the river. They just pick a spot in the water or on the shore and they just paint yeah. the spot they're looking at. And, and sometimes they'll take a canoe or a kayak and actually and go, go down. down the yes, river. So if right. you are kayaking or canoeing, you might see somebody set up painting on the side of the that, river. That's right. How what, awesome is that? What a cool idea. I love it. Yeah. So they have um, four different special events going on. Um, you can check the um, Wakaiva Island website out. We'll have links for that as well. Um, but four different events that you can choose from, or you could just show up at the island and check out the painters. I mean, yeah. really, it's that easy. Great local hangout, and we love to support the island. We do. Such a great place. I don't, you know, you've nailed all the news that you and I talked about before the second half of the show. The only thing I wanted yeah. to mention was my second novel, Lies That Behind. I've started actual production with a voice talent yes, for have. the audio version of that book. So I'm so excited to get that out on Audible. Uh, we're still mm -hmm. working on the time frame, but the whole thing should be done at the very longest within about three months. Yeah. So I'm excited to the get The actor that. that you got for that is really good. Oh, he's so yeah. good. He yeah, he's a, he so good. He has a good reading voice. Yeah. And I will announce his name and everything as we get a little closer. Yeah. And guys, as always, we thank you so much for listening. You are the reason why we do this for the community. So thank you so much for tuning in, in each and every week. Whatever. I can't talk. <laughs> um, leave it in there. Don't I'm edit leaving, it out. I'm not editing today. Okay. Um, if you have a uh, someone that you think would be interested on being on the show or you want to be on the show yourself, give us a call at 407-490-3899 or you can email us at feedback at findandangie.com. That's right. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating or a review. Those reviews really, really help us yes. as do the ratings. If you love the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And we want to ask you today, like we ask you every week, what are you doing to help those in your community? And how can you help more people? Maybe you've got some extra money to give. Maybe you've got some time to mm -hmm. give. Maybe you just need to help the people that you already see in your day. Um, I know we're not out and about as much right now with COVID, but as Angie pointed out, you could be as simple as holding the door for someone. If that's right, you know, if that's what your capacity is, it's just uh, it's a thing that comes back to all of us. And the more we all help each other, the better the world is. That's Boy, right. that sounds so hippy dippy, doesn't it? I like being hippy dippy. You know that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or support your local businesses by going to their grand openings or making donations at places at Lake Wakaiva Island that um, actually helps to clean up the river, restore everything, yeah. keep everything nice and pretty so that you can enjoy nature. That's that? right. All right, guys, thank you so much. And remember, at the end of each and every single day, it's, it's all fine and dandy. dandy.